Our scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Hear the word of God. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Last Sunday after I got home from worship, I went outside to my garden. At this point in my life, my garden is really just a few flower boxes hanging on my balcony, but that's okay. That's okay. I can usually manage to grow something there as long as the squirrels cooperate. Right now, I'm growing fall flowers, petunias and pintas and marigolds. Caring for them is simple, which is good, because I am not an expert gardener. I just water my flowers, and then I cut them back once they have faded in the hope that they will bloom again before the frost comes. So that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing when I noticed a visitor in my garden, a spider. She was yellow and black, hovering in the middle of a huge web that stretched all the way from my balcony to the balcony above it. She was just a few feet above my flowers, and I would be lying to you if I told you that she did not startle me. It's not that I'm afraid of spiders. It's just that I have a healthy respect for them. (laughs) But Google assured me that my visitor, a spiny-backed orb weaver, was not poisonous, and in fact was beneficial, good at catching mosquitoes. And so knowing that, I respectfully stepped forward to take a closer look at her. And let me just tell you, that spider's web, it was fabulous. It was big. It was symmetrical and delicate with concentric circles spreading out one by one, like ripples on the water. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, and the fact that this tiny creature could make something so beautiful and so purposeful, it demanded my wonder, my awe. As some of you know, I lived for a few years in my early 20s in New Mexico, in Navajo country. According to Navajo tradition, it was a holy being called Spider Woman who first wove the web of the cosmos and taught the people how to create beauty and balance. 
As I looked at the orb weaver's web, I could understand how a story like that might get started. I could imagine how this little piece of the natural world would make somebody think about ultimate reality. Because people across time and places and cultures, we're all trying to get at God. We are all trying to find the right words for God, the right metaphor for God. As Christians, we look to Scripture. We look there. We chase after truth, asking the Spirit to show us and tell us again in terms we can understand who God is, what God's like, what it's all about. I don't know about you, but when I read the letter to the Colossians, I feel like I'm getting close to that truth. This is Paul the poet. This is scripture that sings, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Imagine that. In him, all things hold together. Have you ever thought about Jesus like that? Not just teaching or healing, not just leading or serving, not even just dying or rising, but Jesus holding everything together. That's how Paul sketches out the big picture, a world that might be full of disparate things, but running through them all is a beautiful web with a sturdy center. In Christ, all things hold together. Imagine that. It was a perspective that needed to be heard by the Colossians. The church at Colossae was in trouble. According to Paul, they had been taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. It seems that the people had fallen into the habit of worshiping things and people that were not God. They were in the habit of serving the creature, the created thing, rather than the creator. I imagine them staying up late to watch the news and falling asleep without saying their prayers. They were putting their hope in all kinds of things, in lottery tickets and astrology readings, in diets and workouts, in investments and startups, in the establishment, in the resistance. They were clinging to everything but Christ, searching for peace and abundance and meaning out in the world instead but every time they came back, while their hands might be full, their hearts were still empty. The Colossians needed a new vision. They needed to see this old world with some fresh eyes, to reimagine it. And so Paul sought to provide that. Look, said Paul, this is true. Everything is God's. Heaven and earth, past, present, and future 
And God is at work even now, creating and redeeming and sustaining the world, working in the world, making it right. God is gathering up all the broken threads and weaving them back into the whole, reconciling even the worst parts, making peace through the blood of his cross. It's coming together bit by bit, the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got you and me and even the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Imagine that. Put away whatever else you were imagining and imagine that. Connection and coherence and peace in Christ. Imagine that. Of course, faith is more than holding the right thought. And yet what we imagine, what we believe to be true at the deepest level matters and that it shapes all our other thoughts, it shapes our words, and it shapes our actions. What we believe about God shapes the way we live. So we have to ask ourselves, if we believe that all things hold together in Christ, then what? Now what? How does this image of connection in Christ call us to live? I wonder if we might first hear ourselves being called to reject our other ways of seeing the world, other ways that have had power over us. Too often, instead of imagining our connectedness, we imagine isolation. New research suggests that individualism is on the rise as a philosophy, not only in the United States, but globally. Even societies with more communal and collectivist cultures are shifting away from that now, toward a vision of self-direction and autonomy and dog-eat-dog. We imagine isolation, not connection. And we envision a world of hard lines. A world that for all its breadth and beauty really only has two sides. It hardly makes sense, but that is what we imagine and then it becomes real for us. I'll give you an example. To hear us talk, the only significant design feature of the United States Senate is the aisle that divides Democrats and Republicans. I don't know if you've ever seen that room, but it's a room with a hundred desks and chairs circled in rows, kind of like this, so that everyone can see each other with multiple aisles in multiple directions. But all we talk about is this one aisle that is apparently such a daunting divide that it's news when, some, when someone so much as reaches across it. We imagine hard lines, hard lines between us and them, between good guys and bad guys, believers and non-believers, between citizens and refugees, between black and white, 
But does God imagine that? Is that God's vision? In his poem, Mending Wall, Robert Frost describes an interaction between two neighbors, two guys who've come together to fix the stone wall that's running in between their two properties. Over the course of time, over the seasons, keeping that wall intact has proven really difficult. Or as the poem goes, something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps, even two can pass abreast. This wall is a mess. And so it would seem that there is work to do But as the neighbors go along, each on his side, picking up the stones and replacing them on the wall, one of them begins to wonder if a wall is even necessary. Neither one has animals to keep inside it. They only have trees, and those aren't going to cross over. Besides, the two men are friends, But the second man continues to insist time and again that good fences make good neighbors. Good fences make good neighbors. And so they keep going, they keep rebuilding that wall. But it never does sit well with the first man after that. Because something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. I suspect that something might really be someone. It sure sounds like God to break down barriers and to open up space instead. It sounds like God to make a gap where even two people can pass through walking side by side in conversation, maybe even in relationship. It sounds like God to deconstruct whatever barriers might stop the flow of love and grace. After all, we are here because Christ tore down the dividing walls of sin and death just to reach us. And it was Christ who opened the way to new life where nothing can separate us from the love of God. Might it not follow for us to dismantle what separates us from one another? Aren't we called to see connection and to seek connection? Aren't we called to be peacemakers? Peacemaking is a tall order. It means burying the hatchet. It means picking up the phone and starting that long overdue conversation, you know the one. You know the one. It means listening without interrupting and maybe even letting the other person have the last word. Peacemaking means taking a deep breath and counting to 10. It means taking your second favorite flavor so that your sister can have her first choice. 
Peacemaking means being the one who actively looks for compromise in the boardroom, in the marriage, looking for compromise with your parents, with your kids. For many of us, peacemaking will mean confessing. For others, it will mean forgiving. And forgiving so completely that we are set free to forget what it was all about in the first place. Yes, it may start small with those close connections. But friends, here is the good news. You can trust that the web will grow from there, circle after circle, spreading out into the whole world, God's world. Our call, our call is to get caught up in that, to get caught up in what God is doing and to hold on, to hold on to one another and to the one who is always holding us. May God grant us the faith and the courage to do that. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.